Welcome to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the news industry from the people who did. I'm Kira Posey. On today's episode of The Lead, I speak with Dr. Kaiser Lowe, an assistant professor of journalism at the University of Georgia's Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication. Dr. Lowe's research focuses on visual communication and solutions journalism. To give you an idea of his work and one of his recent studies, he's examined how newsrooms shift to solutions-focused reporting. And in another, he examined what we can learn from judges' discussions in photojournalism competitions. He obtained his PhD in journalism from the University of Texas at Austin. Today, Dr. Lowe and I discuss the importance of studying visual journalism as a profession, emerging trends in the field of visual communication, and his advice for people who are thinking about continuing their journey in higher education. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is produced by the Cox Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Now, here's the lead. Hi, Dr. Lowe. Thank you so much for coming on The Lead today. It is so good to have you on. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So I'm super excited to pick your brain and chat with you today about your expansive background. So I'm just going to go ahead and get started into the first question. So you came to academia after a career in photojournalism and health communications. I want to know what led you to go further into academia um, and eventually earn your master's and PhD, as opposed to continuing on in the newsroom or maybe in professional communications? So uh, I'd worked in the professional world for a while and decided I wanted to go back and get my master's because I lived in the community uh, where I'd gotten my undergrad and they had a really good uh, master's program. And part of it was my job paid for it uh, as, as continuing education as long as I got good grades, uh, which is very encouraging when you have to uh, get an A to get full tuition reimbursement. Um, but while I was doing that, uh, part of my graduate program was going back to the student newsroom that I'd worked in, and I helped the advisor there in the copy editing desk uh, just as, as a way to give back a little bit and make a little bit of money while I was doing my grad program. So meanwhile, the graduate advisor has a massive heart attack. He's fine, but he's out of commission for uh, the rest of the semester uh, and the next year, essentially. And so the department chair called me and said, hey, I need you to be the interim advisor for the student newspaper, and I need you to finish teaching this uh, upper-level class on publication design. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay, uh, that's, that's cool. Um, I'm terrified about this, but uh, let's, let's go for it. And I loved it. I loved working with students. I loved giving back to the newsroom that... Uh, I had once actually quit in a in a rage in the middle of the semester, thinking I would never go into journalism. <laughs> uh, and here I am, the the interim advisor. But all in all, it just taught me that in the professional world, I really loved going out and creating things. I really enjoyed that. When I was in the classroom, when I was in the newsroom, I realized I was having some small part in helping other students create. And that was really cool when I would see a front page that a student designed after coming to me and asking about all the different things that they might want to do and then seeing the decisions they made and, and the process and them creating this and being proud of it. It was such a neat, neat feeling. Um, and down the road to see my students go out and do incredible things in journalism is so rewarding to me. Whether or not I had anything to do with it, at least I know they, they came through my class at some point and maybe I had some kind of influence on that. And 
I absolutely loved it. Uh, so I was an adjunct for a little while teaching graphic communication, and I said, okay, I want to do this full time. I want to go all in. To do that, I want to do this tenure thing. Uh, to do this tenure thing, I need this PhD thing. So I guess I'll go do that um, <laughs> with zero understanding of what research was. I had no clue. So I came into this knowing next to nothing, but uh, I just fell in love with the research um, because I think journalists make really good academic researchers because we're already out there asking the questions and doing the investigation and being curious about things. And in academia, you're especially social science, you're doing the same thing. You just now have a much more rigorous set of theories and methods and things to go about it. And you can interrogate things. You can do the deep dives um, and, and really kind of look into the way things work and the way things should work. And so I think journalists fit right into that mold, and I certainly did. Uh, and so I fell in love with the teaching. I fell in love with the research and was off from there. I want to go into that research a little bit and break down your two main areas of expertise and research. So your research focuses on visual communications and also on solutions journalism. So again, I want to break down your work in both of those fields with you. So let's start with visual journalism. Not only do you study visual journalism, you also study the field and the professional workplace of visual journalism itself. Um, even just looking at two of your recent studies, one focuses on how the priorities and discussions of journalism awards and the discussions of those judges signal priorities in the field. And then I noticed another one um, focuses on women concert photographers and how the presence of women in that field influences the, like, the ongoing cycle of patriarchy that is in photojournalism. So I guess why is it not only important for you to add a body of research to visual journalism as a work, but also to the professional field and professional side of visual journalism? It's easy to understand that a, a written news article came from a person. There's a byline, there are words, words don't just appear out of nowhere. It's really easy to forget that about photographs or even video, that Yes, there was a machine that captured this image, but there was a human being behind that machine who decided where to point the camera, decided where to stand with the camera, decided when to push the shutter button, decided what to crop in and out of the photo. If there was something happening off to the side that they didn't capture with the photo, that was their decision to do it. It had nothing to do with, with the camera. And when I started looking into what types of, of visual communication research was out there, I also realized that there wasn't as much about the actual embodiment of photography. I thought that was really fascinating and really important line of work to study those people who are there making it, making the images. Because as we've seen in the pandemic especially, photojournalists can't work from home. A lot of journalists were able to phone in their interviews with people. They didn't have to come into the, the newsroom. They could, they could even Zoom to do their interviews. You couldn't zoom to your camera to, to make a picture of what was happening out in the world. You had to actually go out there, which introduces so many, so many more interesting questions about the nature of, of photojournalism and, and what it takes to physically be out there. And also along the same lines, you know, we have had some shift in what it means to be a photojournalist professionally. We have had entire photo desks at newsrooms that have been completely laid off in lieu of using freelancers or in lieu of trying to get the journalists to make the images themselves. And so where it used to be a pretty clear pathway of we're going to go be a photojournalist for a news organization, now a lot of times it's I'm going to go be a freelance photojournalist, 
which allows you to do a lot more and work in a lot of different areas and pursue different projects, but it also introduces a whole new host of complications, like where are you getting your health insurance from, where are you getting your equipment from, um, are you being taken advantage of by people who are getting your copyright um, in order to work for them. And so it's introducing a whole new host of, of questions about work when it comes to being a photojournalist. I want to ask about maybe what trends you're seeing in photojournalism today, and maybe specifically even in breaking news. Are we seeing any of those overarching trends in breaking news stories like we've seen in the updates in Afghanistan and also even the recent hurricane in New Orleans? You know, photojournalism has always had uh, a diversity problem in that it's been largely white males doing the photojournalism. And that's that's part of journalism larger journalism's larger problems with diversity. There's there have been reckonings over the years. Uh, this isn't something new. There have been trailblazers in the industry uh, for a long time, but recently I've noted a trend that there there really is a strong reckoning toward diversity and representation, not just of photojournalists, but also in the coverage of trying to get a more diverse newsroom, a more diverse body of photojournalists, and a more diverse body of photojournalism leadership when we look at photo editors in there. And it's you know, it's it's popped up in a lot of discussions. It's popped up in a lot of discussions between photographers in the community. Uh, there have been uh, groups and organizations trying to update ethics codes and provide different uh, standards of, of guidance toward how to be more inclusive uh, in photojournalism. So that's that's been a, a refreshing thing to see in the industry, that we are starting to look at that more seriously than perhaps we had in the past. And again, recognizing that there have been many trailblazers that have gotten us to this point. This isn't something new, but it's definitely something that's, I think, being discussed more seriously um, in recent years, especially. And another thing that we're seeing kind of, I think, goes hand in hand in, with this is how photojournalists are depicting suffering uh, and how we're awarding images of, of people suffering. Because, you know, we we know that we need to show what's happening in the world and bring things to people's attention that they need to understand are happening. So uh, with Afghanistan, for example, there's a lot of, of horrible things happening there. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of conflict. And we've seen the images and the moving images coming from there that have shown us exactly what's happening and perhaps given us more of an awareness than if we were reading about it or hearing about it from someone else. But at the same time, there's, you know, on the other, other side of if it bleeds, it leads, you know, we have what are the, the implications of constantly showing suffering bodies and constantly showing suffering uh, black and brown bodies. And if that's the only way that we're seeing people in other cultures is when they're suffering, then what is that doing to us in how we see the world? If all we see of Afghanistan, for example, are, are people in pain and suffering, then we're missing out on the, the whole humanity of, of what it means to be a citizen of Afghanistan and how they might have everyday lives just like we do. Um, but we see, we see folks in their, in their worst moments. And again, that's important for photojournalism to be able to bring these images. There are, are countless iconic images throughout history that have arguably changed the course of history because of the fact that they've shown us we've not been able to look away at what was happening. But I think it's responsible for journalists 
to go beyond that and to truly tell that whole story visually where they are showing, well, what happened after that? And, um, you know, what is, what is an everyday life like in a different part of the world? And, and not to other them, but to show the joy and the beauty of, of the everyday, just like we celebrate our own everyday lives here. And I'm starting to see some awareness of that too. Um, there's, there's been some really good research on feature photography that's been awarded in national and international photo competitions and how the feature photo used to be a nice like slice of life uh, you know, representation of humanity, but suffering has started to creep into that, especially when we're looking at non-U.S. images uh, where there has to be this exotic otherization of suffering uh, of, of bodies abroad and you know because it does tug at our heartstrings and it's emotional and it's important yes but if it's creeping into the feature photos then that's telling us that's the everyday so again I'm, I'm seeing I'm seeing some of that that trending come through and, and part of that also relates to journalism as a whole where we are trying to tell the whole story and understanding sort of the importance of contextualizing things instead of just going with kind of the um, the big the big conflict, I guess. Shifting gears toward your other area of studies and your other area of expertise, um, you study solutions journalism, um, and you're, that's an area of your research. So, in your view, why is it important to study solutions journalism? So let me first define it. Uh, solutions journalism is rigorous reporting on responses to social problems, which it kind of sounds like what journalism should be, and it, and it is. Uh, this is nothing new. This is just trying to put a label on part of journalism that a lot of folks feel has been neglected. And essentially it's saying we report a lot on problems in society, and that's very easy. We, we see them, we uncover them with investigative reporting, um, they, they pop up with breaking news events. But a lot of times, because we're so caught up in the cycle of, of reporting, we'll report on the problem and then we'll, we'll move on to the next thing. And so all the audience sees day in and day out is, here's what's wrong today, here's what's wrong tomorrow, okay, here's this other thing that's wrong. Instead of showing what, what are people doing about it. And so that's all solutions journalism asks is, don't just stop with, here's what's wrong, but ask what are people doing about it and report on that using the same rigorous techniques that you are reporting on the problems. So there could be a lot of solutions out there. There could be a lot of things that people are doing about a problem uh, that they think are going right, but you investigate that. Is it actually affecting change or not? Is it actually working? And so again, it's just something that hasn't been emphasized as much in journalism. And so there are organizations out there that are promoting this approach, which they just call whole story reporting. So you're telling the entire story instead of just, here's what the problem is. I also wanted to ask you about any advice that you had for students who might be interested in pursuing academia. I know that you said that you found your interest in this because of your love for teaching initially. So if you have any advice for people who are interested maybe or curious, if you could share it, we would love to hear it. Yeah, first of all, uh, on your last day of class as an undergrad, when you post, uh, you know, last first day of class, don't be so sure. Uh, it might not be. You might come back and leave the door open. I, I was a terrible undergrad, and I admit that to my students. Uh, I, I was horrible. I hated school, hated grades. It was all just a mess. And here I am. It's my job now. It's my life now. It's my passion. 
And so leaving that door open for the future, uh, I know some students that have gone straight through grad school and have had very successful careers and love what they do. I know some students who have gotten their master's or gotten their bachelor's degree and then gone out into the world and worked for several years before coming back. And they've also had really successful careers. And so leaving that door open for the future, uh, for that possibility, I think is very important. And in a more active role, you know, reach out to folks that are doing this, you know, look up your old professors or look up scholars who have been in the news for something interesting that they've written about, um, or, or just get on university faculty websites and, and reach out to them. We'd love to talk about this kind of stuff. Uh, we love to talk to students about the possibility of getting into academia and getting into research. Uh, more directly, you know, look for people that you would want to learn from, people who inspire you with the work that they're doing, because when you go to grad school, you can work one-on-one -on -one with faculty members who are doing this kind of work. And that's how I got my start, was working with faculty like that at the University of Texas who were passionate about what they did, and they guided me through it, and then they sort of set me free <laughs> to go do that on my own. Um, and while you're at university, especially as an undergrad, talk to some of the graduate faculty about their research. There usually are opportunities where you can get involved as an undergraduate and dip your toes into research. I know at the University of Georgia, we have the uh, Center for Undergraduate Research Opportunities office, CURO, where you can uh, propose a project and work with a faculty member, get course credit, and I believe they have some stipend opportunities there. There's also research groups that faculty members are setting up. Um, there's, there's plenty of opportunity to kind of take that uh, sort of low, low impact intro into it to see like, is this something I'm interested in or not? And above all, it, it seems like a siloed and ivory towered kind of institution. And at least in my field, I found it really isn't. We want to talk about this stuff. We, we publish in, in academic journals that can be difficult to access outside of university setting that can sometimes be difficult to, to read uh, if you're not used to reading academic articles. But if you go to the source, if you email the, the person who wrote the article, they'll send it to you. They'll, they'll, they'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, and then if you have questions and ideas from that, they'll, they'll talk with you, they'll talk with you about that. So it's, it's easier, I think, than, than it seems on the surface level. And it just starts with chatting with faculty. So Dr. Lowe, as we wrap up, I want to ask, is there anything that you want to add? Any final remarks maybe about either your career advice or just anything else generally? Yeah, for students out there, especially photojournalism students, I really recommend reaching out to photographers that you admire. Um, and, and it's kind of, kind of like what I just said about academia. Uh, look and see if you can job shadow them, if you can come down one weekend when they're working on a shoot, uh, or if you can just uh, have have a sit down with them to learn a little bit more uh, about what they do and how they got into it. Again, in most cases, people out there want to talk about themselves first of all, and and they if you can find the ones that want to give back and and take advantage of that, then it's it's really going to help you. I was afraid to do that uh, as an undergrad. Also, I didn't really care because I was a terrible undergrad, but. Um, I've met so many fantastic photographers in my career that have been so willing to talk with my students or to have my students come job shadow or intern with them, and that's turned into some amazing opportunities for them. I, I want to also caution that not every professional out there is going to be willing to do that. Um, I, think, I think it's important to give back. I think it's important to 
remember that we all had to start at the beginning uh, somewhere and there were people that helped us and to try and be that helper. And I'd, I also caution my students that when you find those people that aren't going to give you that attention, that are going to be rude to you or going to dismiss you, it's easy to get caught up in that because of who they are. And, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they're mean to me. Just just leave it. Move on. It's not worth your time. Find the people that are going to be willing to help. Uh, so, yeah. Thanks to Dr. Kaiser Lowe for joining us on this episode. I'm your host, Kira Posey. Our producer is Dr. Keith Herndon, the executive director of the Cox Institute. To keep up with the lead and hear more from media leaders, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at The Lead Podcasts. See you next time.